0: You're listening to the Standard Podcast.
1: Eye-opening for your ears. This is We Need to Talk Podcast. Podcast Talk Show Pasa Ankrit. Hi you guys, welcome back to our show. Thank you so much for listening. Hello, welcome. It's so nice of you here. And I've heard a lot about you as I'm sure a lot of our listeners probably have also. I hope
0: only good things.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Of course, you're considered the young, passionate, the new young blood of politician. So, okay, let's see here is what we already know about you we know that as the year of 2018 you are 25 years old yep we also know that you got the king scholarship like you said to go study abroad in england yep. at eton college Yep. then you got your bachelor's degree in philosophy politics and economics at oxford university Yep. now was that bachelor's degree or was it a joint bachelor and master's It was a bachelor's degree.
0: Mm-hmm. So it was a three-year degree, but I was there for four years because I, I took one year off to do um, student union stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but the funny thing about Oxford and Cambridge bachelor's degrees is that three years after you graduate, it automatically turns into a master's. So I literally just got, I just got an invitation on, um, on the post inviting me to my degree ceremony for my master's degree
1: that's, that's, I've never heard of that. I never knew that fact before. Why? Like, wh- how, how is that yeah, possible?
0: I, te- I tend not to advertise that fact because I, <laughs> I, I don't feel like I deserve a master's degree. <laughs> I, I, my dad really wants me to do a master's degree. Mm-hmm. So I once thought that I would, I would kind of fool him. Yeah. And, uh, and, and told him that, you know, I, I went and studied and look, here's my master's degree. Mm-hmm. You don't need to ask me to do my master's degree anymore. But, so that, that I, don't, I don't actually know what the, I actually don't know what the actual story is, but there are two myths one is the myth that back in the old days, um, Oxford and Cambridge degrees were considered so difficult mm-hmm. that they decided to compare it to a master's degree, which I find is a bit is a bit of an elitist way. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I didn't really like that 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 myth.
1: Almost discriminating. Yeah, way. I mean, I, so I, that's
0: why I, I I'm not a big fan of that myth. Mm-hmm. The second myth I'm also not a big fan of, which is the myth that back in kind of 200-300 years ago mm-hmm. the UK so democracy is normally one man one man or one one person one vote As right, right. you say um, they entertain the idea of having some some people um, having more than kind of multiple votes so the idea was that if you have a master's degree you might be eligible for two votes which uh-huh. is also com- I completely disagree with as well so there are these two myths which kind of hang around as to why why this whole weird practice is happening Neither which I agreed with mm-hmm. so I that's why I tend not to say I have a master's degree
1: okay, um, now we also know that you're a huge soccer fan football <sighs>
0: we're, we're not American here
1: football, of course, <laughs> football, of course, you're a huge football fan, yes. and of course you support Liverpool, yep. Okay, and we also know that your uncle is the former prime minister of Thailand. Okay.
0: People tend to not forget that.
1: Yes, you know, <laughs> being the nephew of Kun Apisit Veshashiwa, that has sort of became almost of a title for yeah. you. Every time someone says your name, it always follows with the nephew of Kun Apisit Veshashiwa, right? So that sort of follows you everywhere in the media. Now, how do you feel about being called that all the time or having that title all the time? Do you wish people would call you just by your name and not necessarily mention your uncle? Or it doesn't really bother you that much?
0: Um, It is a bit frustrating um, because regardless of whether people have positive or negative views of my Mm -hmm. uncle, they always tend to judge me by that. And I have a really funny story. I think it was an interview about uh, three or four years ago that I gave. Mm -hmm. um, And they asked this exact question. And we went on for a long time talking about kind of my idea of meritocracy where people are judged by their actions and their ideas, not by who they're from mm-hmm. or by factors they cannot control. And, they, and the interviewer was kind of going along with it, quite happy of what I was saying. Mm-hmm. He said, oh, this makes sense, etc. Then he or she ended the show by saying, well, thank you very much for coming here today. I think I'm going be so I was kind of like, okay, Aww. we're back to square one.
1: <laughs> I've also seen your interviews before and you said, you know, you can't choose your family.
0: Yeah, I know. There, so. there, there are two things on that, right? Number one is every interview I go, I have to spend like half the time or if, if I'm lucky, 20% of the time explaining yeah. about this. And then people comment being like, oh, we haven't heard what policies you advocate. And I'm kind of like, well, I wish I had more time to talk about policies, but yeah. I didn't get to. Um, the second thing is there's no right answer on this, right? Mm-hmm. If I say, I mean, everyone has good and bad qualities, including your parents, your uncles. And by the way, I have more than one uncle
1: mm-hmm. in
0: more than one political party. Right. But I don't know why the focus is on this one particular uncle. Right. Maybe it's my looks. I, I don't know. But <laughs> I, I also cannot control that fact. Yeah. Um, but I mean, regardless, there's no right answer. Because if I talk a lot about the positive qualities of my, of my uncle, mm-hmm. um, Kunabisit, then people will say, okay, here we go. He's just like a cloning. Mm-hmm. If I say something that I perhaps may not agree with or I would not have done differently, then people would say, oh, you're disrespecting your elderly. So there's, there's no right answer for this. Right. And, but th- the thing I do want to, to stress is that there are, of course, similarities. Right? I mean, I cannot deny that I went to Oxford. I mm-hmm. did philosophy, politics, and economics, just like my uncle, but also just like 250 other people each year. Mm-hmm. But there are also differences. After graduation, I decided to go and work in the private sector for two years abroad. My uncle back then decided to do a master's degree mm-hmm. and then came back and was a professor at, at Tamasat University. But no one ever talks about this fact. Mm-hmm. People only talk about about things that are similar. Yeah. And they also assume that I'm very close to him when I grew up. Mm-hmm. I don't think he even knew I decided to do philosophy, politics, and economics until I was there. And we only met kind of once a year in these kind of big family reunion. Mm-hmm. We're we, we kind of part of a very big family. And... We never discuss politics. Because mm-hmm. as I mentioned, I have two uncles on opposite parties. So if we we'll, we'll ever discuss politics, I, I don't think the grand, my grandparents would be too, too pleased. Yeah,
1: two things you should never discuss at a family re- reunion. Politics and religion. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Because it c- could create conflict. It could make family fight. I've witnessed it myself <laughs> okay. with politics. But okay, so now let's get to know you a little better. Let's move on from that topic. And let's start with your life in the UK.
0: Yep. Yeah, the first time I was in the UK was when I was nine mm. for just the summer.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I went there and I hated it.
1: Why? <laughs>
0: I was so young, right? I was nine and I, I studied at Santitula. Mm-hmm. So my English was not great. I think I had one year of English le- English lessons mm-hmm. at or Sam before I went. And I was thrown into this boarding school for one term where I could not communicate with anyone. Um, I didn't understand what was going on in class. I didn't understand what was going on outside class. Mm-hmm. I was on my own with my brother at the time, and I hated it. Mm-hmm. So then I said, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to continue here. I'm going to come back to Thailand.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: I told my parents that. But my, the headmaster at the time, um, I think they, he brainwashed my parents a little bit. <laughs> he said, oh, if your son stay at our school... Mm-hmm. Um, he would have a very good chance to win a scholarship to some of the top um, boarding schools in the UK. So I think when I came back to Thailand, my parents decided to invest and send me to an international school Mm -hmm. for a few years, thinking that there may be a chance that I would get to enter the the UK um, education system later on. And then I guess that's what happened. There are two ways of entering Eton, right? Right. One is you go through the the normal route Mm -hmm. where you kind of I don't know when you have to register, but then you take an exam at 11, then you take another exam at 13. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't go through any of that because I had initially had no intention of going to, to Eton. I was studying at an international school, which actually went on to to Mohawk.
1: Mm-hmm. So I could
0: have stayed there for a long time, had good friends. Mm-hmm. But the second way to enter Eton was to go through a scholarship right. called the King Scholarship, which, by the way, the King refers to King Henry the mm-hmm. Sixth of the U- of the UK, not any part of the royal Thai family. Ah. King Henry VI founded Eton College in 1440, initially as a school for underprivileged children. And he gave a donation or endowment for 15 students per year to study at Eton with um, assistance on school fees. Mm -hmm. That tradition carried on. I mean, the school expanded, they accepted kind of fee-paying students as well, but they always committed to giving scholarship to 15 students. Mm -hmm. The only condition is you have to fly there and take a one-week-long exam. So that's what I did when I was 13.
1: What was the exam consist of?
0: So it was multiple topics, uh, sorry, multiple subjects. But the interesting thing was it tested potential and, and critical thinking rather than knowledge. If it tested knowledge, there's no way I would have been there mm-hmm. because the curriculum was very different. So for, for starters, there were some subjects that I never studied, like French or, or Latin or mm-hmm. classical Greek. So there's no way I could compete with uh, the, the kids in the UK on that. But even on topics like maths and English and geography, it was more kind of critical thinking questions. And there were also exams that tested general kind of general thinking. It was called general paper. Mm-hmm. One of the questions I remember was it was some kind of they drew out a scenario where I think like two neighbors had a conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like one of the neighbors trees like, extended into the other guy's house. And then they said, imagine you were hired as a lawyer. For one, for one of the neighbors. Like, how would you present your case to court? And of course, it's nothing to do with knowledge, right? Like, no 13-year-old kid knows anything about the law. Yeah. But it just tested kind of how you would structure your thoughts. Uh,
1: do you remember your answer?
0: Nope.
1: Oh, <laughs> yeah. I want to know. I think, it,
0: I think it was good enough. <laughs> yeah. Because when, 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 we, when, when, when the results were published, kind of my... This is a, another thing I'm grateful for as well. Uh, they didn't care too much that you had to do really well in all subjects. They just cared that you had potential in a few. So my scores on French was abysmal. <laughs> my score on English was, was horrendous. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, the English paper, I remember actually, um, I mean, doing just a normal English paper is already difficult. Yeah. But the question I had was, here's a recipe for, for a certain type of food. Can you translate that recipe, which is modern English, into like old English?
1: Oh my goodness. I, was
0: like, I, I'm, I'm, I barely understand modern English. <laughs>
1: Old <laughs> English, yeah, as in like, like sort of like Shakespearean I time think, yeah, period yeah. kind of English. Oh, that's tough. Yeah.
0: So I mean, I didn't even understand the modern English. So yeah. <laughs> but so the paper I scored well on was on the general paper mm-hmm. and math. Um, so that's kind of how I managed to squeeze in.
1: That's crazy. And then you got the scholarship and ended up at Eton, right? Yep. And it's a full boarding school, which means that all students live on campus yep. 24-7. Yep. And it's an all-boys school. Yep. Did you wish that it was different at time, Like maybe being able to commute from home to school or having female schoolmates? <laughs> um, Did do you, do you miss that? Or was it okay, it was adjustable? It was
0: actually a good experience for me. Um, I think boarding school gives you a new experience.
1: Mm-hmm. And the
0: fact that I was so far away from home, right? Because even though it was full boarding school, I had a fr- uh, my, one of my best friends actually lived really close to the school. So over the we- the weekend, he could kind of like, his parents would come and pick him up for lunch and he can kind of sneak out a little bit. But for me, it was <laughs> no chance of that, right? I lived mm-hmm. like 12 hours away <laughs> by plane. Um, but I think what it meant was that I, w- I became really independent. There was no one checking if I had done my homework. Mm-hmm. No one was checking whether I was revising for my exams. Um, so number one is like, I became much more independent. Number two is... When you put a group of boys together 24-7, for someone like me who loves playing sports, mm-hmm. it was heaven. Yeah. I literally, like, in British summer, it gets dark around, like, 10.30 or 11 p.m. I would Whoa. literally play football up until... Football, by the way, not, not, not soccer. Up until uh, real, real football, right? With the, with the foot oh, than, football. <laughs> oh, than... Oh, real football. Rather than the hand, yeah? okay. That's the uh, real football. Okay. <laughs> I played up until, like, 11, until, like, they had to drag me back in. Uh. Um, so it was good for me.
1: What position do you play?
0: I started off as a striker. Because my legend, I mean, the the reason I spotted Liverpool initially was because I was a big fan of Michael Owen. Mm. Because he was small and I was very small compared to the British kids. Mm -hmm. Um, Then he betrayed our team. (laughs) So I decided to switch from the striker as well and started playing in midfield. Ah. Because I suddenly became a huge fan of Steven Uh, Gerrard. Recently, I kind of have to keep dropping back because my my body is no longer fit for being the all-action central midfielder.
1: Do you still play?
0: I, I try to play every week. Um, mm-hmm. But normally on a seven-a-side pitch, mm-hmm. I'm actually playing on Sunday as well for oh. the Democrat Party.
1: Oh, yeah. nice! Wait, are you playing against like older people, with, or are they more
0: with and against? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, okay. So yeah. Okay. So yeah, high expectations for <laughs> me, but
0: I, I don't. I'm not sure I can compete to be honest.
1: Um, what about the female part, the schoolmates? Do you miss that about?
0: Um, a little school? bit, no. a little yeah. bit. Um, because. When I was thirteen, before I went, I was in international school. It was a co-ed school, so right. there were boys and girls. But I didn't really, I wasn't really, I guess I matured quite late. I wasn't really into like girls, girls. like normally, not like normally guys.
1: Are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: so I didn't really feel that there was a like I was missing any part of um of that. Right. I mean, I think it, w- it would have been nice to have to have girls around because obviously, like, it just adds diversity right. to the place. But. Putting all boys together also means that you can do things that you probably wouldn't be able to do in a co-ed school. Yeah, that's true. So I think, yeah, that's also... There are positives to it.
1: Or there's social functions with maybe... Did you guys have sister schools? Yeah, we had
0: it, but it was really awkward. So, you know, Eton had a sister school, right? And every time there's these, like, socials or, like, discos. Yeah. And literally all the boys at Eton would rush after the lesson to go and sign up. So to make this list... To go to this event, you have to basically run all the way from, from your classroom as soon as it's, it's finished to sign up.
1: It's limited. Yeah, oh, it's limited. Uh-huh. And
0: I, I managed to go once because I think there was one time where it was done by lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I went it was really awkward. Oh. You can have a room and then there's like one,
1: one on side. one side of the
0: wall, like all guys, <laughs> one side of the wall, all girls. And then like gradually throughout the night, it kind of like move slowly across the room towards the center.
1: Oh, young love. Oh, no, I, I just so feel like it,
0: was, like it was too forced. Yeah. I think things you know, things between guys and girls to yeah. develop naturally.
1: True, that's true. Um, so being a boarding school student, did you ever get to go out at all? I mean, by yourself, not like school field trip or anything.
0: Not really. Um, was, they were quite strict. There was a, a, a town next door called Windsor. Mm-hmm. That was a, as far as we could go. Um, was one time on a field trip um, to London uh, there was a huge traffic we were going out to see a play in mm-hmm. London there was huge traffic so we had to miss dinner so I was super hungry so I sneaked out with a couple of my friends for some Chinese food and even that was I mean I ended up in like two months of detention for that you got caught <laughs> yeah I got caught <laughs> I mean I didn't think at the time but it was pretty obvious because the whole row was missing yeah <laughs> um, but how they found us at a Chinese um,
1: that's really random restaurant.
0: I, I don't know yeah <laughs>
1: Um, <laughs> would you recommend Thai parents to send their young children off to boarding schools in the UK? What would you say were the pros and cons rega- um, from your own experience?
0: I think whether they should, I think depends on the specific situation, mm-hmm. um, both in terms of like opportunity. I mean, we cannot deny the fact that for most students who study abroad, they have to pay quite high fees. Mm-hmm. right? I mean, I wish there were more scholarships for for, for people um, who probably cannot afford it to be able to go. I think it depends on that. It also depends on the the type of child and the type of parents you are. Mm-hmm. I think pros for sure is the independence the child will get. Um, I see that as a pro because it also means that when you, when you leave um, boarding school in the UK, you kind of can look after yourself. You don't have to rely on your parents. But the cons of it, which my parents keep, telling me is that I can be quite stubborn as a child <laughs> because I would have my own views. I would be very independent. Mm-hmm. I would kind of like do whatever I want. And then my parents would be like, oh, we should, we should never send you to the UK. <laughs> so, I mean, there are benefits and costs. Mm-hmm.
1: Do you feel like your life changed a lot transitioning from Eton to Oxford?
0: Unfortunately not because actually a lot of people from Eton um, actually ended up, ended up at Oxford, Oxford. Mm-hmm. so it was good. At m- actually, all my best friends, all but one of my close group of friends, we all we all went to Oxford together. Nice. So that was very really nice. Um, I mean, obviously, the w- one difference was there were girls. <laughs> Didn't know what they were before, <laughs> um, so that was a, it. Took a bit of adapting.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure eventually you guys got used to it.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you know, of course, Oxford it's world renowned and it's known for being really hard to get into. Yeah. Is it as hard as they say it is? And what do you have to do to get into Oxford? How do you prepare yourself?
0: So the process was very interesting. And I think when you say as hard as, as people think it is, it's not as hard in terms of you don't need to go to, a necessary to go to a good school or have a lot of knowledge or have good grades mm-hmm. to get in. In a way, the requirements f- in terms of grades was not as high or not higher than a lot of other universities in London but it was seen as a be- like as like a minimum because as soon as your grades kind of pass a certain barrier which i think like 10 times the number of people um so if if they accept 100 people per year like 1000 people would have the grades necessary to get yeah. in there but after that is they had, they go through a uh, three filtering process one is you have to write a statement saying why you want to study this course at oxford two is if you pass that stage, then you're invited to take a test. And the tests actually test actually tests your potential, very similar to, to the Eton Scholarship test. Mm-hmm. So for, for PPE, which is Philosophy, Politics and Economics, it was a 60-question multiple choice, um, testing critical thinking and logic and IQ. Mm-hmm. Then if you pass that, then you go to the final stage, which is the most stressful and most, most unique, which is interviews. Ah. You're actually interviewed by professors who then end up teaching you. Mm. And the unique um, thing about Oxford is that you are taught by your professor one-on-one or one-on-two. So you develop a very close relationship with that professor. So when you go for an interview, it's more like a conversation. Mm -hmm. um, And they kind of just wanted to get to know you, how you think about each issue. I remember the question I had on my philosophy interview was, what makes you the same person that you were five years ago? And what makes that person the same person 10 years ago?
1: How did you answer that? Do you remember?
0: I think I said it was linked to with memory. I'm not sure if that's a good answer. I would stick by it, but I think that's that's some some line of answer that I, I went with. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was more conversation. Yeah. And it was like if, if they think you are you have potential, you're eager to learn, then they like you. They want to have you as one of their students. Then they then then. Are you taught by
1: the same professor through all three years, or uh, just each year's depends on the professor. module?
0: But there are always professors that kind of stick along. Mm. Um, the whole course.
1: Okay. That's, that's really interesting. I never knew that. It's so different. And it, it, I, I, maybe that's why they think you guys deserve a master's degree three years <laughs> later because you're being taught one on one. It's like super private yeah. education right there.
0: We're never forced to go to lectures, is the thing. They never check attendances. Um, you could easily go through your whole degree without going to a single lecture.
1: Yeah. Same in America actually. Okay, it's the same. But okay. we we do have discussions. This uh, um it's um it's like a smaller group classes um that are taught. But those usually they do take attendance for those.
0: But you guys always uh always have to take exams, right? Yes. At Oxford you don't do any exams until your final year.
1: Which is tougher. It was
0: it made my final year horrendous. Yeah. Um but it, it meant that in my first two years I could do a lot of extracurricular stuff.
1: Uh but does it mean that like does it compile all the knowledge yep. you've learned so yeah i think that's harder because i feel like when you you're taking tests you know a little bit here and a little bit there it it's sort of like you can just let go some of this stuff
0: yeah <laughs> you but prior you're not, you're you not supposed to though right that's the thing i know <laughs>
1: <laughs> now of course talking about your experience at oxford we cannot not talk about oxford union society okay Yep. Could you paint us the picture? What is it like to be a part of the Oxford Union Society?
0: By the way, this is a very valid question in terms of what the Oxford Union is. Because I have to, when I was treasurer, I was in charge of recruiting members. So when when, when Oxford students come in in Freshers' week in their first year, they have to choose which which society they want to be part of. And I have to have this speech to explain what the Oxford Union was. Mm -hmm. It was initially in 1823 a debating society. Um, it was created in, in an environment where freedom of speech was, was hugely limited. And therefore, this was an arena where students could get together and debate any topics without being limited on what they can say. Mm-hmm. So that's why it was initially a debating society. But throughout the course of its 200-year 200, 200 history, it grew on to become almost like a student union. 70% of Oxford students are members of the union. The union has an annual revenue of one million pounds, so fifty million baht. Wow! Um, and it has a campus in the centre with a six hundred member um, hall, debating mm-hmm. hall. It has a bar. It has a library. It has twenty-four time members of staff, and it's run by a student committee, entirely student run, and every single person on that committee has to has to be elected university wide by the members.
1: So, would you say it is? Sort of the voice of the students?
0: That two, there at were two Oxford. student unions at, uh, at, at Oxford, right? One is called Oxford University Student Union, mm-hmm. OUSU. The other one is Which called,
1: is kind of like student body president. That's kind of your
0: typical um, like, uh, student union. Like at OUSD. <laughs> yeah. And it has Oxford Uni- Union Society, which is what I was president of. And actually, as president, you don't debate, This is the thing. So I was president of a debating society who did no debating. Ah. You do kind of three things. One is you organize and interview speakers. So every day when I was president, I had to interview at least one speaker. And that speaker could be like president of Afghanistan. It was Malala, who was a Nobel Peace Prize winner. But it, al- it could also be kind of John Cena, WWE wrestler, Jack Gleason, who played Joffrey in Game of Thrones. So it's basically leaders in different fields. And uh, the style of interview was that you should challenge them. Because I mean, this society was founded on a prin- principle of free speech, mm-hmm. so you're always kind of invited to challenge them. And one condition we place on speakers is that when they come to speak at Oxford Union, we don't pay them. The other condition was that they had to take any questions from the students. They cannot say, kind of, we don't allow any questions. Um, so that was one of the one of the one of the uh, responsibility. Mm-hmm. Also, kind of chairing debates as well. I mean, we actually had debates. It wasn't it wasn't a debating society without debates. But the debates normally the president would set the topic or the motion and then you would invite a mixture of students and, and, and experts in that field to come and debate each other. So that's number one. Number two was I had to kind of look, it was almost like looking after a business, right? It had a one million, one million pound revenue. Yeah. So there's a lot, a lot of pressure kind of how do you make sure that that, 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 that amount of money is spent wisely mm-hmm. and we retain that amount of revenue that keeps the society going. So there was a lot of kind of financial management that goes on. How do you increase membership without increasing fees? Because seventy percent of our income was through membership fees, and of course we didn't want to increase the fees because it affects students. Um, so how do you how do you kind of circumvent that? One of the things I did was actually we introduced a YouTube channel, mm. which was very controversial at the time because some kind of the the more conservative um, members in the opposing party when I ran my presidential election. And the main the main ideological difference between my team and my opposing party when when we ran the election was that I wanted to introduce this YouTube channel or expand it. Um, and they wanted to limit it. Because they felt that if, if anyone can view the debates or these events online, no one would apply to be a member. And mm-hmm. therefore, we would lose revenue. But I actually saw it differently. I feel that people would still apply. But what you can do with a YouTube channel is that it actually increases the brand um, of the Oxford Union globally. There are now, channel- there are now clips on, YouTube- on our YouTube channel with over mm-hmm. a million or two million views. And it also means we can attract more speakers it also means we can attract more sponsorship. So actually I felt it was a, instead of trying to limit technology, we should just embrace it and find opportunity. So that was the second thing. How do you manage the financial situation? Mm-hmm. The third thing was uh, you have 20 full-time members of staff, all of whom were much older than you, much more experienced than you. How do you keep them happy? Right. Um,
1: How? And,
0: and it was, uh, I mean, I, I, I actually got very close to them personally. Um, and I think that 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 helped a lot. Because I didn't, I didn't run my first election and said, I'm going to be president. Mm-hmm. I started off working in, in kind of the lower committee, then the upper committee, then the treasurer, then president. So I had a good relationship with them. We worked together on a few things. So it was, it was nice. And I still keep in touch with them r- right now. Like people who work behind the bar at the union. Yeah. yeah I got a lot of free, free Cokes from them. <laughs> Cokes? Yeah, Coca Cola, not, okay. not, not
1: Yeah, well, obviously. <laughs> yeah, no, not just the to, drugs.
0: <laughs> just, just, to, just to clarify. <laughs>
1: So, you're the first Thai person to become the president of Oxford Union. What made you decide that I want to do this job? I want to take on this position?
0: I was actually almost the first East Asian. But then the guy before me beat me to it. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) He was from Korea and that was his platform, by the way. (laughs) So, every Asian in the the, the university turned out for him. (laughs) So, when I ran my my presidential election, I couldn't use that anymore. (laughs) So that's why I had to do actual actual policies, yeah. uh, like like the YouTube channel. Right. Um, my first attraction to it, I came in and I thought, wow, like there's a society that's like really really entrenched on principles of democracy and freedom of speech. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt that there are a lot of student unions in other universities in the UK, but they can't really do much because you, you the people in the university actually has the, the 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 real power, right? But here was a student that was completely run by students, which was scary. Because could, I could have literally run it to the ground <laughs> yeah. if I mismanaged it. It's
1: right? a lot of pressure. So, so
0: one was on Democracy. Two was, uh, it just had cool events. I went in the first week, Johnny Depp came.
1: Oh, cool.
0: Um, I actually slept through that in the sense that I initially didn't think I, had a, I got a ticket. I found out, like, my friend texted me in the morning that I did get a ticket, but I had slept through it. Aww.
1: Um,
0: but, yeah. But, I mean, it had, it had cool speakers. and I, 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 That's why I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. So I got involved in the first term. And then started running elections.
1: Nice. So being president, you get to interview a lot of impressive and interesting people from different walks of life. Mm. You must have learned a lot from interviewing them. Could you tell us some of the most memorable ones that still left an impression on you today?
0: Um I I have to say, I learned a lot more, not not just from the speakers, but from actually managing the society. Mm -hmm. That was the skills I got more out of it. Um, I mean, speakers were, of course, very impressive. But the thing I remember the most was, I mean, a a few incidents. Uh, Number one was when President Hamid Karzai of Afghanistan came. Um, I mean, he was a very accomplished politician. But he was really nervous before the speech. He asked for a few moments, and he kind of looked a bit nervous. And I was like, wow, even like even the most accomplished experienced politicians are nervous of like university students. Mm-hmm. Um, and then midway through his speech, um, I think some guy came in from his team and said there was like some bombing that happened in Afghanistan. So we had to kind of pause. Yeah. And I was like, that was when I realized like how lucky I was to be in that position. Like this guy like has so many important things to do back home mm-hmm. in Afghanistan. He flew all the way over to come to, this, to speak to these university students. Um, so I was quite impressed by that. Malala was interesting. Malala Yousafzai, right? He, she was only a nominee back then. Now she's a Nobel Prize winner. She almost didn't come. Um, I mean, she was obviously very busy. But her, I met her dad before she finally agreed, and her dad really wanted her to do PPE, which was of course I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, "Well, let me. I can help give you some advice." Yeah. So I'm going, going through the parent channel.
1: Use it to <laughs> your advantage. And
0: I ended up. Um, she was quite quiet before we went onto the the um, the event. Unlike her younger brother, who kept coming up to me and kind of like asking me to play with him. He was really young. So I thought the best way for me to kind of get him to just stay put was to do a card trick. I knew a card trick, right? So I had a pack of cards and I just like did it in the office to him. And he was really impressed. And it backfired because then he kept coming up to me saying like, how did you do it? How did you do it? Right up to when I was walking with Malala into the hall, he still came up to me, asked me how, how I did it. So it was a bit distracting. So that didn't work out. Um
1: where, w- where were his parents
0: uh, his parents were <laughs> his parents more concerned with Malala speech. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny um, yeah I mean I also super junior right ah, Korean band I didn't know yeah. who they were at the time they came mm-hmm. um, they couldn't speak English so we had an interpreter <laughs> but um, on the morning of the event I went into the Oxford Union campus and there was uh, like an Asian woman standing outside in a backpack and she asked me like can I stay here and I was like, oh, sorry, sorry, this is not a hotel. Um, There's some hotel. It's like, I haven't booked any place. I just flew all the way over because I really want to meet Super Junior. And I was like, I'm really sorry, but it's only open to university <laughs> students. <laughs> so then when the event happened, I mean, I interviewed Super Junior. I didn't, I didn't know too much about it, I have to, I have to admit.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but when I came out, people started coming up to me and trying to grab my hand. And I was like, what's going on? And they're like, You shook hands with them. I it's like grab-.
1: secondhand handshaking. Yeah,
0: and I was like, Okay.
1: <laughs>
0: this is really weird, but
1: sure. And if you know English, listening to English, and this please share this episode This is both v Today, let The
0: Standard Podcast. Eye-opening
1: for your ears.